The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets across him. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to the third episode of Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network. We have an incredible show planned for you this week, a jam packed episode. We've got two incredibly special interviews. One with Nicole Rodriguez, a member of the Puerto Rican national team. Again, they took part in a protest that is as revolutionary as you will see in the world of soccer. You definitely do not want to miss that. And of course, the second interview is with 12-year-old prodigy Olivia Moultrie. She's got an article in the Times about her, a scholarship accepted to North Carolina to the University of North Carolina. She's got a bright future ahead of her, and you definitely do not want to miss that interview either. But there's a lot of other soccer to talk about, and of course we have to start with the NWSL Championship that wrapped up last weekend. The North Carolina Courage took on the Portland Thorns, and the Courage really capped off what was a truly, truly dominant season, a season for the ages. And before I continue... Before I get on with that stuff, it's very important that we mention this week's episode is coming to you from Canal Street Market in the heart of New York City, right in Chinatown. We've got a great studio here. This is an incredible space. We are incredibly grateful to the people out here to allow us to use this space, hopefully not just for this episode, but for the near future as well. So, as I was mentioning before, the North Carolina Courage capped off a dominant NWSL campaign over the Portland Thorns with a resounding 3-0 win in the championship. And really, I just have to, I have to, have to really give this team props because it is, in terms of, in terms of sport, when you look at the season they had, when you look at the team that they have, it truly is one of the best teams ever assembled and I'm not exaggerating I'm telling you as a person that has been obsessed with sports for the longest time I watch every sport under the sun I even watch cricket okay I 99% of the time I, I root for the underdog and I'm serious no matter what I am watching if it's the underdog I'm rooting for him but this is probably the first time I saw this North Carolina Courage team even last year, going back to last year and then seeing them this year, adding Crystal Dunn, adding Heather O'Reilly. I just fell in love with this team. It is impossible to, to not like how good this team was. And from top to bottom, basically the, NWS, the rest of the NWSL messed up. I mean, the fact that the North Carolina Courage were allowed to add every single piece that they were able to add in order to build the team that they built is truly astounding. I mean, 
Paul Riley, his staff, the organization, it is clearly a a well-run organization from top to bottom, and you cannot deny them the credit that they are due. You simply cannot because the fact that they were able to be the win the NWSL Shield last year and then win it again this year and still only have, you know, they still lost to Portland last year. They still had that chip on their shoulder. They still had a goal to reach. But when you only have one loss, one loss on the year, I mean, you simply cannot compete with that. You simply cannot. From As I mentioned before, from top to bottom, this team is just that good. The goalkeeping situation they had on lock. You're talking about Caitlin Rowland, Sabrina D'Angelo. No issues there. Both incredibly experienced. The back line. Ursag and Dahlkemper, the Abbeys, rock solid. Merritt Mathias, Jaylene Hinkle, good luck, okay, as, as your wingbacks. I mean, that alone is good enough to be a playoff team. But then you, you take into account their midfield, okay, when you have, Sam, you have players like Sam Mewis who is picking out passes in the midfield, making it look effortless, absolutely effortless with, with her ability to clear multiple defenders with her passing. Dabinia, who is a genius on the ball, absolute genius, dribbling in and out, making people look silly. And then, of course, McCall Zerboni, the enforcer, the, the tough girl among the group who really gets after people, maintains that intensity level for 90 minutes, and it's unfortunate that she was not able to play in the final, but the fact that she was, the fact that, you know, she pretty much was one of the biggest reasons why they got there in the first place. Then, of course, you can't even forget about up top, three of the best strikers, Lynn Williams, Crystal Dunn, Jess McDonald, Jess J-Mac getting the championship MVP nod, which cannot be overstated how amazing that is for her. The fact that the Courage were really able to... They were really able to sell themselves as underdogs, which is crazy. And the only way they were able to do that is because half of their roster were were castaways. They were all players who the league had given up on going in. McCall Zerboni, nobody... She didn't get the credit that was due until last season. Okay, J-Mac had been on six teams in five years. And she finally, with her celebration, Jesus paid us all. That was a crazy celebration during the championship game. And, of course, even Denise O'Sullivan, who got forced out in Houston, right? The Houston Dash let a quality, quality player walk. And Denise O'Sullivan, the Irish international, was voted team MVP for the North Carolina Courage. So, really, when you take a look at how good this team was from top to bottom one of the greatest teams ever assembled and i mean and i truly mean that and i really hope they get the respect that they deserve and here's the thing the portland thorns anybody else in the league how are they going to get better this offseason that's really another another key element here because the courage are set up to not just dominate this past season but the next couple seasons because here's the deal Heather O'Reilly didn't even play. They, we, they brought in Heather O'Reilly, and, and we all thought, oh, my God, she's going to make a great impact this year. She barely played. Clearly, the Courage are already looking forward to next year. They got her into the, into the flow of things this year, got her used to everything, their style of play. So by the time next year rolls around, 
they have even more depth in that midfield. So good luck stopping the North Carolina Courage. Okay. Wow. Rant over on the Courage. That was that was great. I had to get that off my chest because rarely do you see a team that dominant. Paul Riley and his group deserve a round of applause. And we're going to get more in, into the NWSL awards later because a lot of the Courage who were involved in that team. First, of course, uh, before we move on, there is so much great content going on on girlssoccernetwork.com. Everything is popping. You need need to go there right now, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Again, our Twitter handle, at girlssoccernet. Instagram, at girlssoccernetwork. And, of course, go check us out on Facebook. A lot of, a lot of different content going on on the website right now. Go check it out. Subscribe, like, whatever you need to do, but get there as soon as you can. Now, as we mentioned at the top of the broadcast, we are very, very excited to bring to you a Nicole Rodriguez interview, a member of the Puerto Rican national team, as I mentioned earlier, in a match against Argentina, they decided to protest, openly protest on the pitch, something truly that you will not see in a in a soccer match ever in the middle of a in the middle of a game they decided to hold up their hands against their eyes and ears and say that we we have had enough and for them to take a stand like that is truly incredible and we're excited to to talk to Nicole Rodriguez and and ask them more about their fight and their story so without further ado enjoy so Nicole um you guys did something that could be deemed historic for being one of the first teams to really protest on the pitch. Uh, where did the idea for this protest come from once your your manager was, was let go? Um, it's It kind of started back in May. Um, we were very frustrated because we came into um, World Cup qualifying, Caribbean World Cup qualifying in May um, two days before the competition and we hadn't practiced together or played together since 2016, um, in the Olymp finals for Olympic qualifying. So we were pretty frustrated about that just in general. And then we missed, um, the next round of qualifiers by just one point. Um, we needed to win a game instead of tie a game. Um, and so kind of from that, we had a, a conversation with, um, the head of women's football for the federation. And it was kind of a fruitless conversation and, on June 4th, we decided that we were going to um, write a letter to um, the president, kind of talking to him about our concerns um, and kind of listing them out and saying, hey, like this needs to change if we want to do better. And we know that with the very little that we've been given, we have done a lot. And we know that if if we're taken seriously and we're given kind of the resources and the continuity that, that we're asking for, um, that we can make a world cup. We can go, we can do better in Olympic qualifying. Um, and so it kind of started there and, um, we kind of worked all summer, um, met with the Federation in August. Um, but they were very unresponsive all throughout the summer from June till August. Um, they set up this game kind of last minute after we had started going to the media, um, to just try and add a little pressure so they would answer us and meet with us and, um, kind of acknowledge us. Um, and they 
scheduled this game against Argentina and kind of when that happened and we saw what was going on with Argentina as well because they've kind of been in a similar fight they're at a different level now um but they've kind of been in the same in the same struggle with their federation for legitimacy um and respect we we kind of saw it as an opportunity to to do something different and um kind of do something that people would see not just with talk yeah, and I definitely think you guys got that point across. Uh, you mentioned that things need to change uh, if Puerto Rico is to make a World Cup and to qualify for those big competitions. What specifically did you guys write in that letter to the Federation that you really feel like needs to be done? So we wrote eight points at the end of that letter that um, we believed just needed to to change. But I think that the top things that were kind of pushing for is, is just continuity. And that takes on a lot of different forms for us. One is just having camps, um, like continuously, even in, in non-competition years, but especially in competition years, having camps that aren't just arriving two days before at a comp at an official competition. Um, we need to play friendly games, like international friendly games. This was our first ever international friendly game um, against Argentina. And it wouldn't have happened if we wouldn't have put some pressure on in the, during the summer. And so just having competition and legitimate competition, that's going to force us to get better. And that's going to challenge us and show our weaknesses and um, really kind of even just like baptism through fire of like, let's play some of the best teams in, in the world and like we could get burned, but we'll learn a ton from them and see where we need to get to. Um, in addition to just like playing, we need continuity with our coaching staff. I mean, we've, I've been playing on the national teams like from youth to, um, to adult from when I was 15. So 11 years. And we've had a new coach like every single year. Um, and whenever we get out of a competition, they fire the coach, whether it's for a good reason or not. And there's now there's lawsuits that the former coaches are, um, they've, they've sued the Federation because they haven't finished paying them. And that's, that's a problem. Um, because we continuously have new coaches, new ideas, and that's great. Like it's good to grow from that, but we don't have any continuity and we always kind of have to figure out and learn the new system, um, instead of having something to build off of with a, a plan of where we're going, not just, Oh, well this competition's coming. So let's, let's figure it out for just this competition and then start over for the next. Mm -hmm. That you know, that's got to be a lot, a lot to deal with when you can't have, as you mentioned, that continuity. When, when you're in this fight, do you have anyone, do you and your teammates have anyone that inspire you when it comes to being a part of this fight for gender equality in women's soccer? Um, I think that it's, it's one of those things that we've, we've looked around the world and this is something that's just it's going on all the time. Um, not just with sports, but with actresses who are stepping out and saying, Hey, like we need this to be better. I remember there was a speech from, um, Emma Watson, who she was when she was speaking to the UN and that was what, like two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and little by little people and women have been speaking up for gender equality. And, um, we've seen it now around the world with, New Zealand demanding better, Australia demanding better, the U.S. demanding better, um, Argentina demanding better, um, Mexico fighting for a league, just different ways in soccer specifically um, 
And then also, I mean, you know, Serena Williams obviously has spoken out about this, but just there's little pockets everywhere of people saying enough is enough and we need to speak out for not only right now in ourselves, but the girls who are coming up and who are watching and who are going to reap the benefits of this really. Because at the end of the day, it would be awesome if like the next, what, four or five years that we're able to continue playing on the national team, um, that things will change and get better. But really at the end of the day, the ones who this is really going to affect are those 14, 13, 14, 15 year olds who are coming up in the U15 um, category and who will one day hopefully be able to really make the difference and and show show like what Puerto Rico has. And you've talked about showing what Puerto Rico has and obviously getting that exposure that also goes along with with the equality aspect of this but tell us for those who don't know what Puerto Rican soccer is at its essence. So, I think that Puerto Rican soccer is especially on the women's side, we're just a bunch of passionate warriors. Like, and that comes, comes from our roots. Um, it's been the history of the Island, but I think that as, as you've, as we've seen, um, in 2015, we qualified for the first time ever to a CONCACAF final, um, for the, for the Olympic qualifiers. And we are able to, to show ourselves against the U S and Mexico, um, and Costa Rica. And those games were kind of where this should have kind of blown up and started and where we should have people in the Federation and just kind of around should have looked at us and said, okay, these girls have practiced for a week together and they've made, they've made this huge dent. And even I remember Jill Ellis coming up to our captain and she told her after the game, if you guys keep working, you will be in the next Women's World Cup. You guys are very talented and you work so hard, you never give up. Wow. And like, I think that that's, that's what we have. Like we have, we may not be the most talented group. Um, we may not be the group that has all of the famous players that people know all over the world, but we're a group that is a family. A lot of us have played together since for like seven or more years. Um, we are... We are warriors on the field. We never give up. Um, and and we genuinely work our hardest every single day to be the best. Like none of us right now are getting paid to play. And we have to maintain our own fitness and we have to maintain our own skill level and and do what we can in order to, to make this work. Um, and we do. And we do. Yeah, so you, met, you said passionate you would describe yourselves as passionate warriors and obviously you want to be able to take that on the world stage as well and play in the world cup in terms of 2019 and 2023 how realistic of a goal is it for you guys to to get in the mix for qualification and potentially earn a spot in the world cup so 2019 is is not not going to happen and that's kind of where this all started um like i said we missed that next round of qualifying by one point um and we didn't lose a game, which is net also never happened in any qualifying for for Puerto Rico. Um, but we missed it by one point, and we attribute that to a being inactive since 2016, so for two full years. Um, but also arriving to the competition and not training with each other um, until two days before the competition, and so that's kind of where this started. So our hope is that come um, kind of come coming back from all of this and, and making a difference 
that in the for the next World Cup, which is four years away, um, that we would be able to to make that. And that's our goal. And this core group of girls who we've been playing together for a long time, um, that's our goal. Because at that point, we'll all be kind of 28, 29, 30, you know, and that's kind of our, mm-hmm. our last shot. But that's what we want. We're willing to work. And we have a lot of young talent coming up as well. Um, and I think that if, if we can take this seriously and we can um, continue to have the investment and the resources that we need, um, it, it would be a realistic goal to get there. So the island, you know, you guys are doing so much in terms of representing Puerto Rico. Uh, they've been through a lot recently with, with some of the storms and the, and the hurricane that hit. They're still recovering. What are some of the efforts the team have been doing to help and what can others do to help? So we try to kind of get out in the community and um, for us playing soccer and, and kind of being a beacon of hope and a beacon of, of, a, of good, especially when it's, when it's bad, um, it's kind of what we try to do. We try to do a community events um, and get out and, and do camps for little girls and all that. But um, I think the island's recovering. And like I said, the Puerto Rican people are very passionate and they thrive and, and they work hard and they do their best. Um, so I would just kind of the same, same situation of just trying to continue to bring awareness because there is still need there. Um, people still don't have roofs. People still don't have, um, we finally have all the power back, but there's still so much that needs to be repaired and continued. And so many people were displaced, um, that to just continue bringing awareness to the fact that, um, there's still help that is needed in Puerto Rico. Again, that was Nicole Rodriguez of the Puerto Rican national team. Really, I mean, an inspiration because they're willing to do, they were willing to take a step that not a lot of players are willing to have the courage to take. So we commend them for their efforts and we, and we wish them well in their fight, in, in this fight against, against inequality when it comes to women's sports, especially women's soccer. Now, of course, after the NWSL season ended, there was the NWSL Best 11, along with all the other awards to go to go along to to the to some of the best of the best. And we're, of course, here to break that down for you. One of the major key storylines, the greatness of Becky Sauerbrunn, the only player in NWSL history. Well, more moreover, in American soccer sports history to get on the NWSL Best 11 in each of the six seasons. I mean, the fact that she missed a solid chunk of last year due to injury and came back and was was dominant again this season, anchoring that Utah Royals back line, she deserved her place, uh, rightfully so, because she is one of the best out there in the game right now. And and there's simply no denying that. And... and the United States national team are very, very, very fortunate to, to have to have her. But really, when you take a look at the best 11, uh, can't have very many complaints. Uh, Sam Kerr up top, 16 goal season, of course, cannot hate on that. Megan Rapino, dominant as always. Crystal Dunn, literally didn't even mention her. I did not even mention her in my rant earlier. The... Really, the key piece that unlocked everything for the North Carolina Courage with her 
pace, passing, movement, everything. She really was the difference for the courage that took them to the next level. Of course, McCall Zerboni. Of course, league MVP. Lindsey Horan is the center midfielder. Dominant. As dominant as could be, Tobin Heath making people look silly, as she usually does with her flair in her class. And then, of course, Dahl Kemper and Abby Erseg, Sauerbrunn, Sonnet, and Adriana French at goal. In goal, excuse me. And so, of course, the Courage having five excuse me, four players in the best 11. I really can't understate enough how good they were. But, but, if there is one complaint I have with this best 11 and something that needs to be taken into account going forward is Adriana French, yes, named best goalkeeper of the year, okay, gets named to the best 11, but she didn't even play every single game this year. She was coming back from an injury. Look, I, I get it. Like, I... I think we can all agree that French is, talent-wise, the best goalkeeper in the league. But with that being said, we still have to reward the other players who, who flat-out did work. And, and to me, when I look at the year that Aubrey Bledsoe had, I think she should be pretty upset that she wasn't in. I mean, I'm sure she was in consideration, but the fact that she didn't get the nod, she ended up tied for most saves on the year with Kayleen Sheridan. But... Aubrey Bledsoe, for the longest time, was leading the league in saves for the majority of the year, was lights out. Uh, I thought she really deserved the nod to be on the best 11, along with Lydia Williams, who got the nod for the second best 11. Um, so, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing going forward where the writers clearly decide, look, we're just going to go with talent rather than who actually performed the best, which is unfortunate, but hopefully, you know we can reward those other players because it means a big deal. This is, this is a big deal for those players to be named to the best team of the season is, is really huge. And again, breaking down the other awards, as we mentioned, Paul Riley winning best coach. There is no dispute there. The guy was incredible. The guy was incredible. I mean, from start to finish, he micromanaged that team perfectly. He knew the ins and outs of that team perfectly, how to, how to work with every single one of those players he deserves a ton of credit for the job that he did. I mean, seriously, there, there is nothing, there is no, there's no one who comes even close to winning coach of the year over Paul Riley. A one loss team, if it wasn't for Brittany Ratcliffe's goal, the Courage have an undefeated season, okay? And that makes them even better. As, as I mentioned, Abby Erseg getting defender of the year, no disputes there. Zero, zero disputes there. Just so incredibly solid at the back for the Courage. Their leader defensively cannot mess with her. No chance. I love this is I love that Imani Dorsey won Rookie of the Year over Savannah McCaskill. Because again, if if the theory was was right, you know McCaskill would have likely gotten the nod simply for most amount of minutes played, and because she played the most probably of any rookie in the game, maybe as much as Andy Sullivan, even more so. She was in the starting lineup a lot. But Imani Dorsey had the biggest impact for her team. She came in later on in the year, starting matches, coming on, scoring goals with her pace, her movement in behind the defense. Really something... She, I mean, she has a bright future ahead of her for Sky Blue. To have her on the wing, they have a great piece to work with, and, and hopefully they decide to hold on to her. Another... 
topic of discussion, going back to the goalkeepers, and this is something that I know a lot of uh, U.S. women's national team fans have definitely thought about, and it's the fact that Alyssa Nair is still the number one goalkeeper. And the only reason why I bring that up is because Adriana French, again, for back-to-back seasons, has been named to the best starting 11 and to the and one goalkeeper of the year back-to-back years. So that begs the question, if the best goalkeeper in the league two years running, how, how, how can Jill Ellis have her as the third string keeper behind Ashlyn Harris and Alyssa Nair? I, I do not get it. It's about time. It, it really is about time that Adriana French gets her opportunity. It, if she is the consensus most talented best keeper, she needs to be considered, at least in the consideration. I don't understand how someone that talented gets left off, but it, it is what it is. And, you know, I mean, with that logic, she should be in the lineup because she was better than Nair. Ashlyn Harris, to me, is a solid number two. She could also be number one. But again, the writers, the fans, the media, ev- you know, everyone believes that French is the best. She should probably be getting at least reps before any big competition that's out there. So we'll see how Jill Ellis handles that going forward. Uh, I mean, look, it's a great problem to have when you have three incredible goalkeepers. But when you look at who is the most athletically gifted and, and who can do the most in goal, it's, it's definitely Adriana French. The, the biggest, the most athletic. She has all the tools to be a world-class number one for the United States. And I think she's earned that right. So with the CONCACAF championship coming up, we'll have to see if she will get an opportunity or two to score. Excuse me. If she'll get an opportunity to play, not to score. If she will get an opportunity to play for the Stars and Stripes. Now, there were plenty of other huge storylines in the world of women's soccer. Definitely have to keep you up to date with those as well. The Seattle Reign have sent Jess Fishlock to Lyon on loan. Uh, and, I mean, it. It's it's a no-brainer for for any women's soccer player. If you're looking to play in the Champions League and you're looking to play in the Champions League final and win, you go to Lyon. It's that simple. Alex Morgan, with great success, decided to go there, and and of course won a Champions League there. And Jess Fishlock herself has said she's played in the Champions League before, but the ability to play in a final would be huge. And and that's really the the only thing that is limiting the NWSL from becoming the you know from from this huge huge sensation they don't have that that europe that you know that real attraction to the champions league and that mystique of european football they they don't necessarily have that and so hopefully by integrating and bringing up the concacaf region with with this this gold cup championship will hopefully over time raise the level and more and more players can, can develop and, and we can get some kind of Champions League like system here because players are always going to be lost to Europe uh, and obviously they're not going to miss you know that much if anything of the NWSL season but you know the option to go to the Champions League is, is definitely very exciting 
Another huge, huge storyline that uh, is a little unfortunate. Uh, Vera Paul of the Houston Dash has left the Houston Dash. She had to resign after one season to to be with her husband. And um, we, we hope that everything with that situation gets sorted out. But the fact is, the Dash had their best season in team history under Vera Paul and Rachel Daly made the best uh, the best second team in the league. Uh, she was she made the list. They, they were just a, a lot of fun to watch. They're probably because of that Dutch influence that she brings, the total football influence. They were such a diverse group of players that all meshed together really well. It's, particularly going forward, they weren't great defensively, and, and that's probably the reason why they didn't get into the playoffs. But when you look at how they were offensively, very very difficult to stop. You have the three South Africans in the side. You have Rachel Daly, you have Kaylee Oha, you have Sofia Huerta. They have some great pieces to, to build on going forward, and we hope that they have success going forward and that they can hire someone who brings the same kind of pedigree that, pedigree that she brings because she brought a professionalism and an international level of experience that simply other managers don't have. So hopefully Houston can, can go out there and, and find someone just as good because they're still looking for their first playoff berth as a franchise, and they're and they're very close to to doing so. They're they're really one piece away, and we'll see how they do in the draft because that will be huge for them, especially having a top three or four pick most likely. Another huge, huge story. I love saying the word huge. <laughs> The Utah Royals have teamed up with the NWSL for 21 players to undergo, co- to, to study for Class C coaching licenses over 10 weeks, cost-free. You want to talk about a big step in integrating the women's game and making sure that women's teams have have more female coaches i mean this is a huge step and we're talking there's some pretty big names on that list you're talking about heather o'reilly ali kriegel hallie krieger nicole barnhart i mean some seriously important figures even some young names i saw ashley hatch on that list so for free of charge for them to be able to get coaching licenses it's the best way to keep to keep women involved in the game at the highest level because in reality you know, women's coaches are they are the ones, especially if they're former players, they're the ones who are going to understand the women out on the pitch the, the best. They've been through it themselves, right? Just like, the, just like in the men's game, the, all of the men's legends end up taking over their, their former teams, right? Because they've been through it. They've, they've been there before, and it should be the exact same thing in the women's game. And hopefully, this is a huge step in... in, in in that direction another when when you're looking at the big time storylines in the world of soccer marta the brazilian the brazilian magician wins fifa player of the year for the sixth time uh if that solidified her status as the greatest of all time uh i i think it's safe to say that it definitely did there is no doubt that she is the best ever but at the same time i really would have hoped that we could get we could have given the nod to somebody else i don't know what it is with fifa and and their nominee nominees you know there was certainly the last two seasons love cartley lloyd to death 
but there was a lot of controversy around her winning FIFA Player of the Year for the second year in a row. Definitely seemed like a courtesy call, and, and it definitely seems like a similar thing for for Marta because Sam Kerr, the Australian, the fact that she didn't even get nominated, she didn't even make the short list for Player of the Year is a absolute travesty. For me, I believe that Sam Kerr is in that top three discussion in terms of players in the world. That's really all I wanted to say. That's She is that good. She is that dominant. She impacts the game because of how good she is in front of goal. And the fact that she didn't even get nominated speaks to FIFA's view of the NWSL, clearly. Because they don't... I mean... Her production the last two years speaks for themselves, which means they don't view the league that highly. They don't think she's, they think, obviously they think she should be doing even better, which is absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous that, that FIFA continues to do this. We need, we need to get this right. We need to make sure that, look, and it, the other nominees were great too. I mean, Ada Hedeberg of, of Norway is a flat-out goal-scoring machine and scores goals for fun. So... You know, she hit the 30-goal mark easily. And so some of the nominees I have no issues with, but can we get Sam Kerr on there, FIFA? Like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Seriously, can we get some diver- a little more diversity, a-, a little more American love in there? I mean, I don't know what we got to do, but it needs to be done. It needs to be done. Okay. One more thing. A huge college soccer matchup between two Pac-12 rivals out on the West Coast. UCLA versus Stanford. What, I mean, arguably the matchup of the season and the fact that we have it now and and we're going to have a couple more matchups likely later on depending on how which team does in the Pac-12. In the Pac-12. Uh, of course, Katerina Macario stole the show and that's a name... Y'all better get used to that name because I'm going to be talking about her a lot. I mean, you want to talk about a player whose game I love? I mean, what can't she do? She's only a sophomore, and she has proven that she has ev- she can score every single type of goal that there is. Long-distance goals, you got it. Headed goals, you got it. Volleys, yup. Everything is in her wheelhouse. I mean, really, she can't, I need, like, we need her to get to the NWSL. The league needs more players like her. And I, and I will continue to say this for as long as I can. The league is great. The league is so great, especially in terms of defensive philosophies. It's, it's embedded deep into American soccer, okay? A lot of these coaches have a defense-first mentality, and the cliche that defense wins championships will always be true. Defense does win championships. You have to have a good one if you want to be able to compete. That's the bottom line. And and thing is, we have that. Okay, seven of the nine teams had great defenses, elite defenses. They're set at goalkeeper. They're set defensively. Now we need the offensive flair players to come in to spice things up, to provide the yin to the yang, to provide some more balance, to provide that that extra bit of. You know, that extra bit of quality because the Dabinias, the Tobin Heaths, they're novelty in the league. I mean, really, a novelty. You don't see them. You don't see players other than, 
I can't think of many other players other than them who are looking to flat out just embarrass you while they have the ball. Uh, Dabinia did that on multiple occasions. Tobin Heath did that on multiple occasions. I guess Megan Rapino also deserves some credit in that discussion as well. But you look at around the league, the talent, uh, there, there really is, you know, nobody like Katarina Macario in college soccer for Stanford. And for them to be the number one team, they will be the favorite to repeat as champions. And we're definitely going to be covering Stanford women's soccer a lot on this podcast in the near future. That is for sure. Absolutely. Now, before we get into a incredibly important interview with Olivia Moultrie, the 12-year-old prodigy, we have a quick word from our sponsors, Topical Gear. Topical Gear was formed in 2010 by a team of professionals from the orthopedic sports medicine field. Collectively, this team has over two centuries of knowledge in athletic training, biomechanics, product development, manufacturing, orthopedic sports medicine, arthroscopy, and the pioneering of products in the orthopedic sports medicine market. Their team is constantly on the field or in the gym, getting feedback directly from parents, players, coaches, and athletic trainers as part of their continuing effort to develop products that increase female athletes' performance while keeping them healthy. All of their products and all of their products are backed by professional published research and tested by real athletes at both the high school and college level. All of you soccer players, parents, and other athletes out there, go to www.compressioninmotion.com and check out the T25 knee along with other shoulder and ankle products as well as knee products. And now, without further ado, we are happy to bring to you a very special interview with Olivia Moultrie. Tune in and enjoy. Olivia, so on behalf of Girls Soccer Network, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. And uh, so you've obviously, you're very passionate about the game of soccer. What was it, what is it about the game that makes you want to pursue it at, at such a high level? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things, just like the competitiveness and the environment that it creates. But really, it's just like, I just, I love it. And I just, as soon as I started playing, I fell in love with it. And I think I just, like the environment, like I said before, like everything just kind of pulls you into it. And then playing the game together with your teammates and just being, trying to like be the, be your best at something, it's just really great. And I think that's why I love it so much. And in that uh, that Nike spot that you did, you mentioned your inspirations as the greatest of all time, like Serena, like MJ. Is there anyone yeah. in the in the women's game right now whose game you model yours after, and or do you feel you have your own unique style? I feel I do have my own unique style, but I do like watching like Lindsay Horan just won the NWSL MVP, and she um, does play where I play, and it's just nice watching someone who's like where I want to be, you know, she's playing pro and she's on the national team and like watching what she does to try to mimic some of what she does and then obviously add my own style to that. So how would you describe your style of play? Um, I, I just think I, I would consider myself a playmaker. Like I don't just consider like just a distributor or a 
passer or a scorer, but to do all those things, especially at where I play, you got to be a, a little bit of all of those things. So. <clears throat> so a complete midfielder, that number 10. Yeah, that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. And so you uh, had the opportunity to go to go abroad and train at big time clubs, mm-hmm. Bayern Munich, PSG. Tell us more about that experience, and did you learn anything particular about yourself in the game? I mean, yeah, I think I came back a different player from that, seeing all that different stuff, and being in Germany and France and just places in Europe, and it was really cool, like just seeing their style of play and their atmosphere and environment. And like just how um, they treat the youth over there, and it's really cool to see. And I think I came back with some different stuff from both those places. So, was there anything specifically that you know you're going to take with you the rest of your career? I think just taking even a little bit more of what I like, just seeing more of it, like the flair and the style and possession and the quickness, and like seeing like what we do here, but then seeing what they do over there and just combining both of those things. So, I could not agree more. I definitely feel like we need more flair, especially in the NWSL. So I am all for that. Cannot wait for you to be playing, hopefully, in the league one day. Yeah. Uh, so we know you've been, uh, you have a close relationship with, uh, with Fredo, Fredo Sainz, and He's yes. been, uh, you know, a trainer with you for a long time. How? What's your relationship with him like, and how has he helped you grow? I mean, he started out as, like, a, a trainer, but, like, he's kind of, like, he's part of the family now. I mean, we're, like, I'm with him a couple times a week, and um, he just – he has so much of that flair that I think that um, America needs. Um, and training with him, I think, has given me a lot of that, so – I really enjoy working with Fredo. Awesome. And um, switching gears a little bit, you recently accepted a scholarship offer to play at the University of North Carolina. Congratulations. What is it about the program that made you want to commit right now and not wait at all? I mean, it's just such a family environment over there. And Anson Dorrance and uh, all the coaching staff, it's just, like, it's great to be around. And, like, obviously um, their legacy with 22 national championships, but, like, not just that, just, like, what they create over there. And it's not just, like, they're always there. They even get their players, just player to player, to go play pickup, and they're, like, always wanting to play soccer. And that's what really drew me to that program. And... Do you think that's like you're set in stone, that's where you're going? Do you think there's any possibility you could change your mind down the road or you're set? Um, I, I'm really just focused on the next day and just getting mm-hmm. better. Um, if like I can do both, that'd be great because just the competitive spirit of North Carolina and then I've always wanted to be a pro. So just I'm really focused on the next day, but it kind of just depends on what happens. Mm-hmm. And uh I w- definitely would like your opinion on this. We have currently have an article on our website uh, that, that mm-hmm. kind of went viral. We were talking about how uh, girls having to wear white shorts out on the field and how uh, that can cause problems in terms of stains and everything else. You know, We had a lot of passionate reactions to it. What are your thoughts on it? Do you have issues with wearing white shorts? I don't think it should be treated any differently. I mean, it's just you're wearing shorts, you're wearing a uniform when you go play soccer. I don't even really think much about stuff like that. What advice would you have for other young girls out there 
who are trying to chase their dreams and become a professional soccer player like you? I mean, I would just say that you've got to be really obsessed and in love with what you're doing. Um, I mean, I love soccer so much, and like whenever I can play, I'm out there doing it. So I think really you just got to be committed and you got to love it. And if you don't, then maybe it's not the right path for you. Again, that was Olivia Moultrie, the 12-year-old prodigy, as I've mentioned before. I mean, what an incredible inspiration she is. Just her, her mentality and her mindset is, is something that you just don't see from kids her age. And, and she's definitely destined to do big, big things. We, we were very happy to, to get the opportunity to speak with her. And of course, before, before uh, we get towards the end of our show, we have our social media and lifestyle portion of the show. And one thing uh, that we definitely want to get your attention on is... Uh, we have a very important article on the website talking about teams in women's soccer being very popular among those teams is, is wearing white shorts. And white shorts can, can be problematic in, in a lot of different ways when, when you look at playing out on the pitch. All different types of stains, all different types of issues that you have to deal with out on the pitch. If you feel like you relate to that, if you feel like you've been through something like that, you definitely want to go check out this article on our site uh, and and provide your input, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, go find us. Again, at Girls Soccer Net, Girls Soccer Network. Whatever you need to do, get involved in our community. It's all positive vibes. Go get on it. This is a very popular topic that we have talked about and, and written about on on our website plenty of times and it, and it's a very popular topic of discussion and, and that's women uh, who have decided to start a family and have kids while still being pro athletes and, and how difficult it can be to to come back and perform at that same level and uh, you know there, there are a couple names out there who, who definitely are, are an inspiration and, and need to continue on on this path to prove that it is possible. Okay, so the first name that comes to mind is obviously Serena Williams and you know her story and you could argue that so far she's still figuring it out in in terms of in terms of getting back to that dominant status that she was at because she you know when you're out of the game you kind of lose touch with it and and since she's come back she's come close to winning a grand slam but she has not gotten to that point and of course you look back to the u.s open controversy and she openly mentioned her daughter and how she needs to make a stand for her daughter and, and that was truly something beautiful to see the way that she talked about how i will i i need to show i need to prove that i need to be a certain type of way for for my family for my daughter and, and that's truly she truly is an inspiration and when you think about other soccer players who have been through this Amy Rodriguez is probably the biggest success story to date because she's had two kids and hasn't lost a step. Uh, she's come in and pretty much done the exact same thing she's always done her whole career, and that's score goals. And it doesn't matter what team she's on, did it for FC Kansas City. She's doing it right now for the Utah Royals, and she's expected to be you know, probably – their lead striker again next year with Kristen Press and others 
they're going to be a fun team to watch. Amy Rodriguez truly is an inspiration because she's also, you know, 31-32, supposedly past her prime and still doing it. Jessica McDonald, another example, wins NWSL Championship MVP with two goals. Had a kid, making it look easy. The most notable player uh, is probably Sydney LaRue, and Orlando really needs her. Hopefully next year, this was her first year fully back into the equation, really getting back up to game fitness, up to game speed, and and for her to to be able to do that, uh, she's got to continue to do so, and hopefully by next year, she can dominate. And, and really get back to herself because when you have Marta, Alex Morgan, and Sidney LaRue on the same team, you're expecting them to score a lot of goals regardless of how the rest of the team looks. That team is expected to score goals, and they did that this year, but obviously defense was an issue as well. Excuse me. I did mention that this would be the last topic, but that is completely untrue. There is one other, uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on if... I don't know how many uh, video game nerds we have out there, but if you are really looking to get the option, I mean, and this is huge for females around the country, FIFA 19 finally added a a female character to the storyline. So in FIFA 18, you had Alex Hunter and his friend Danny Williams, but his half-sister, Kim Hunter, gets added in, into the fray. And now in FIFA 19, she actually g- gets a call-up to the U.S. Women's National Team training camp. And so part of your journey is to get to, to not only interact with Alex Morgan, who has a role in the game. Her, obviously, she plays herself and her voice. And, and, and it's a really, really cool experience that if you are looking to get that kind of feeling of what it may be like to train and to and to get the option to play for the u.s women's national team it's a really really cool storyline and and i encourage all the gamers out there to to really give it a chance because it it's a they really do an incredible job with the animation and the storyline and it really fits with with how things are going in the world of soccer right now so that is pretty much all we have on episode three of give and go Thank you to all of you who have who have turned who have tuned in to this podcast. Again, we are on Spotify, we are on iTunes, we are on Google Play, and hopefully in another month or two, we will be on iHeartRadio as well. All of the best soccer news, we're bringing it to you, and there is so much still to come in the world of soccer. Again, as I mentioned, the FAWSL has gotten underway. The W League is set to start with a lot of Americans going to you know going to the land down under to suit up so that's going to be a lot of fun but also over the next two weeks by the next podcast we will hopefully be talking to you about the CONCACAF championship for the U.S. of A. I would think that they are going to get to the semifinal and the final because you look at the teams that they're playing against right in Mexico is ranked 24th Trinidad and Tobago are just outside the top 50 in Panama, I think, are, you know, in the top 70. So, again, the expectation is for the U.S. Women's National Team to get to the semifinal and the final. So, of course, we will bring all of that to you 
along with more college soccer coverage, along with everything that we could possibly bring to you. We've got other interview with college coaches. We've got interviews with other key figures in the soccer world. Uh, it's incredibly exciting. Episode three is in the books. Thank you, and we will see you two weeks from now. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Rotas Madera signing off. Bye-bye.